me just kick start. Verse 8 and verse 9 says, For by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. He says, not of yourselves. Hallelujah. <laughs> Imagine if salvation was what you can buy or purchase either by works or by money. Imagine it. You know, some people will fall short. That's exactly what happened with the Old Testament and the law. A lot of people fell short of the law. In fact, it, it is said that nobody could or could uh, fulfill the law in its entirety. Nobody could. Nobody could in the Old Testament. And um, if salvation was like that, oh God, would have been horrid. But hallelujah. Thank God. It isn't at all, at all. It isn't that, um, that God gave it to us as a free gift. You say it is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Imagine if I were, people will be boasting, oh, it's because I did this and did that. That is why and how I got to this stage or I have this, I have that. You must imagine it. But it's not. So today we're going to look at some things. First, in this verse 8 and verse 9, I'm going to blow through it because if you have if you have followed my teaching for a while, you must have heard me talk about this kind of faith. He said that this grace we've been talking about. So by grace, we have been saved through faith. Now, this faith we are talking about, this salvation through faith is not your faith. It's not your faith. I mean, God packaged redemption in such a way that, how will I put it? It is so holistic, detailed, and such that you do not need to contribute anything to this saving grace. Nothing. The only thing you need to contribute to the entire process of salvation is yes, Lord, I believe. Is yes, Lord, I confess Jesus Christ. That's it. The only thing you contribute is accepting this grace. Every other thing involved in salvation was given us by God. The faith by which you were saved with is not even your faith. It is God's. And the Bible made that so clear to us. You know, let me read one verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 22 for you. The Bible says, for we are saved. Romans 3, verse 22. Said, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. So what he's talking about? This salvation that we've got, remember? Because we were saved, we were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what he's also talking about here, he's talking about salvation. He said this salvation is by 
the faith of Jesus Christ. Not even your faith. That means when you came to God, God gave you his faith. God gave you the faith of Jesus Christ. With that faith, you now believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Even of the faith he used for salvation is not yours. Another scripture of that is Galatians 2 verse 16. I love this one. The Bible says in Galatians 2 verse 16 that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. I'm going to slow down a bit because I want you to flip your Bibles to that place. Remember, for Bible surfing, you come with your Bible, you come with your notepad, you come with your pen. Galatians 2 verse 16. In my Bible, Galatians 2 verse 16 is marked up. I'll read it again. It says, see, knowing that man is not justified by works. Are you seeing this free gift of salvation is not based on what you have done? No. He said, it is, it is by the faith of Jesus Christ. So the faith that got you saved, the faith with which you used, to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ is not even yours. It was given you at the point of salvation. Now, it is not only given to you at the point of salvation, you have it as a believer. That is why when you walk by faith and believe God for something, you're using the faith of Jesus Christ to believe for that thing. If this revelation can dawn on every believer, they will stop struggling with faith. The problem is not is not with faith the problem what i say are from different things like worry worry tries to stifle the faith of jesus christ in you like anxiety you know it tries to stifle the faith of jesus christ in you fear is one of them doubt is another thing they are all bombarding the faith of jesus christ in you do you know why they are all out on an onslaught on the faith of Jesus Christ. Whenever you say, I'm going to trust God for something, all of them gang up. Why? They know that the faith of Jesus Christ that you have in you will always deliver a 100% results. They know that. That's why whenever you want to stand in faith, all of these things come up. Fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, double-mindedness, all sorts of things. Why, if they don't stand in your way, whatever you believe God for, you must have it. Because the faith of Jesus Christ in you delivers 100% result. Glory be to God. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? When I knew that I have the faith of Christ and the faith of Christ delivers a 100% result, do you know what I did? I went on a study, on a search, on a quest digging deep into God's word in order to fight fear, to fight doubt, to fight worry, to fight anxiety, to fight double-mindedness. Because I know if I can fight these five things and many more, the faith of Jesus Christ that he has given me at salvation must deliver results. I was like, oh, wow. Because the Bible told me, do not be ignorant of certain devices. So I knew that all these things that come to attack my faith, we are all Satan's devices sent on a rampage to stop 
the faith of Jesus Christ that delivers 100% results from walking in us. That's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. No, we've usually thought or in the past thought that the good fight of faith is the fight to get faith. That is wrong because the Bible tells me something. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Bible told me something that I said, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to every man, to each of us, the measure the measure. I know some translation says a measure, but the original text did not say a measure because a is an indefinite article, but the is a definite article. There's a big difference between a measure of faith and the measure of faith. If it was a measure of faith, that means God took some and gave to Pastor B, took a little and gave to another brother because that brother is not praying well. He's not studying hard, so he needs a little faith. No. If it was A, then that would have been a problem. Remember, it is the faith of Jesus Christ that was giving us. It is the faith of Jesus Christ that was giving us. In the Old Testament, that faith comes as the gift of faith. Because these men were anointed by God. The Holy Spirit was upon them not inside of them. So what they used was was the gift of faith. The gift of faith. When you read Corinthians, you see the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of these is the gift of faith. That is what they used. That gift of faith is a gift given by the Spirit of God. So you can also say that that gift of faith is a faith of God. But for us believers... We also have that gift of faith for those ministering. You know, you might see a case while you're ministering and that gift comes upon you and you speak to that sickness and that sickness leaves. But God also went further to give every believer the appropriate right measure of faith that is required for you to live your life as a, as a Christian. And that measure is the faith of Jesus Christ. Just like we read in Romans 3 verse 22. He said, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Then in Galatians 2 verse 16, he says, by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. He talked about it twice in verse 16. That this faith that we have for salvation, the faith for righteousness, is the faith of Jesus Christ. Then he went on to verse 20 and also talked about it. He says, see, I, have, I am crucified with Christ. He said here, not I. Excuse me. He said, it's no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And I said, this life which I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who had loved me and gave his life for me. So this faith now, which is Jesus' faith that we have, is inside us. 
it is different from the gift of faith, which is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. God gave us his faith to live daily. That's why we call, we, we use this slogan that, that um, we should make faith a lifestyle based on this Ephesians 2 verse 20. Faith should be a lifestyle. Faith is not just what you call upon whenever you need something from God. It should be a lifestyle down to believing God that you wake up. Down to believing God that you have food to eat. Down to believing God that you go out and you come in, not to happen to you. Every little thing you do in life, in your daily living, should be powered by faith. And it's that faith that got us saved as salvation. Okay, I'm going to hurry on. Verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship. <laughs> Glory be to God. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Verse 10, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Hallelujah. And he continued to say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk <laughs> in them. Glory, glory, glory. I love this verse. God's verse. The, the key word in this verse is workmanship. <laughs> glory be to God. Now pay attention. We're going to handle this for quite a bit. Once we tie it up, we will end. Then we'll continue. I'll see you next Tuesday. Really pay attention. Take notes. Take notes. Take notes. Take notes. This is so important. Now, the word workmanship or the word translated workmanship is the Greek word poema. Poema. P-O-I-E-M-A. Poema. And they say if you look deep into the Greek meaning of that word poema, it means masterpiece. You see, it's like it, it, it's like um, saying that a beautiful poem was written. And the best way to explain that is when you look at poets, the poets, they are reward-renowned poets that their work their verses, their words are so, you know, have, have, and vastly known around the world. And they call it a masterpiece. Another example is if you, look, if you talk about artists or music composers, they have some works that is a masterpiece. I like classical music. I mean, I was introduced into classical music by my dad. He had a lot of LPs and records of classical music when we were growing up. Now, one that I really like is the one composed by, by, um, by, um, what is his name? Handel. Handel. And it's called Handel's Messiah. That whole body of work is marvelous. The popular one out of that whole body of work is, uh, is the Hallelujah. When you look at the body of work called Handel's Messiah, wow, it is a masterpiece. Then you look at uh, composers like Beethoven, Mozart, uh, Frederick Bach, and there are many of them. Beethoven, one of his masterpieces is the Symphony Number no. 13. Beautiful piece of work. Is it Mozart? Mozart had a plethora of masterpieces. And when you talk about writers, you remember a, a guy called um, William Shakespeare. I mean, these guys, they have written a lot of books, but they are some of his books that we are masterpieces 
Julius, uh, Julius Caesar, Hamlet, you know, and all that. Masterpieces. I love the artists. <laughs> you know? Uh, I could paint. You no, know, growing up, I used to scribble, paint, do comics, you know, draw. I know, I didn't paint. I remember apart from school, but I used to draw, sketch, and all that. Do some comics. I used to have booklets of comics. I would tell stories and I would, you know, pay, I would draw the characters and a whole booklet, you know, those days, 2B, 2B exercise book, 2B, although there's this small short one that is blue in color. I will paint dry stories from cover to cover. I come up with the stories, come up with the, <laughs> with the plot, and I draw the comics. Wow, and I used to be so impressed with myself. You know, for to me, that is my masterpiece. But listen to this. None of my comics made it outside my house. I don't even know where they are. If there even any place in the house, maybe I'll be somewhere in there, somewhere, you know, hidden. Why? I wasn't that brilliant that my work would, would be showcased to the world. But there are artists from the Resonance era, like the guy called Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, he's on a different level. He was not just an artist. He was a creator. He was he was so brilliant that he he was into engineering. He was into a lot of things. But he drew the popular art piece called Mona Lisa. He drew that popular art piece called Mona Lisa. It is a masterpiece. He drew. He had a lot of works, plenty paintings, plenty. But one you remember, you know, Da Vinci with is Mona Lisa. There's another brilliant artist called Monet, or is it Picasso? They have brilliant pieces, masterpieces. My work did not make it beyond the attic of our house or, or basement of my house. But this man's work are hung in exclusive museums. Like if you go to, uh, to France, Paris, Monsieur Le Love. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it, but the biggest museum in the world, I think, um, I think Dubai now, is it Dubai Abu Dhabi is trying, uh, has built one that is bigger, I'm not sure now, but this is one of the renowned museums in the world that the houses most of these masterpieces. Most of these masterpieces. Now, listen, let me explain something to you. So when you look at that Greek word, you know, poema, workmanship, you know, it refers a lot more than the product of that creation. And I've talked to you about different masterpieces of different musicians, different artists, and all that. But the word translated that from as workmanship, you know, or masterpiece. But when you look at um, that verse in New Living Translation, the word workmanship was replaced with masterpiece. You know, when you look at that Greek word deeply, it goes beyond the work itself, though it's part of it. It goes a step further. Now, it talks about and refers also to the degree of skill with which the product 
is made. You know, let's assume you 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 make um, clothes. We have a lot of people that make clothes all over the world. In Nigeria, we have tailors and seamstresses. You take your material to, they will make a cloth with your material. It's very popular in Africa, you know. But they all, you also have tailors and seamstresses that are known all over the world. Those guys will take your clothes to in Africa. Nobody knows them in the world. Why? The skill they have added to cloth making, to the product, has not reached the skill. So men and women all, all over the world has added to cloth making. Now you look at what we call designer clothes. That's why these tailors and seamstresses are not called tailors and seamstresses. They are called fashion designers. You know why? They have increased so much in their skill that they are known all over the world. So that word poema not only refers to the product, it also refers to the skill of the creator of that product. Yeah. Hallelujah. You know, the degree of skill impacted increases the value of that thing. That is why when you take your cloth, or even if it's ready-made from those tailors in Abba, Lagos, Port Harcourt, or somewhere in Africa, you pay them 10000 Some that are very good, you pay 20000 Now, what is happening in Africa is that some people have taken that skill to another level. You go to Lagos, you see some fashion designers, you know, this, there's this guy, uh, I think he's AY's brother, that has a fashion house. You can still buy that cloth, the Abba man who sew, or the Portacot guy, or Enugu, wherever who sew, and you pay that still of 5000 You go to this AY's brother's shop to buy that same cloth, you will not buy 5000 You What you'll be hearing him call is about 250000 300000 same job, tailors, but one has added skill. He took it a notch further. So the skill added has increased the value of that thing. So with this definition and understanding, you see the workmanship and even masterpieces both work hand in glove. So we are masterpieces of God because God exhibited extraordinary skill in creating us. Hmm. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Meaning we are his skillful product, then we are God's workmanship. God exhibited great skill in creating us. Hallelujah. That is why he goes on to tell us that we are a new creature. 
Listen, 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 listen to this now. <laughs> Glory be to God. We are a new creature. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, you are a new creature and creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So God exhibited great skill in creating us, this new creature. I'm about to make a statement now. Man is a very good creature, very good creation of God. But the new man, the born again man or woman, the new creation is a masterpiece. This is a good quote. <laughs> I'll say that again. Man is is very good. Is a very good creature. Very good. But the new or the recreated man, the new creature, the new creation, is a masterpiece. Pastor, what do you mean? Now, when you go back to creation, Genesis chapter one. After everything, in fact, as God was creating everything, He would say, "Oh, and God saw it, and it was good." And God saw it and it was good. And the sixth day, God created man. And at the end of chapter 1, God said something in verse 31. What did God say? God said, then God saw everything that he had made, including man. <laughs> Glory be to God. And see what he said. The Bible says, and he said, and indeed it was very good. And indeed it was very good. Every other creature was good. When he created man, he was like, mm, this is not just good. This is very good. To the extent that the psalmist in Psalm 8 verse 4 was like, what is this man? What is it about man? That you are mindful of man. So man was a magnificent creation of God. So magnificent. <laughs> but the new man, the recreated man, the new creature is beyond magnificent. The new creation is a masterpiece. Meaning it is one, one out of a lot. It is one that stands out. You know, there's this saying, you say, oh, that um, when others lie down, sit up. When others sit, sit, sit up, stand up. He said, when others stand up, make sure you stand out. He said, when others stand out, make sure you are outstanding. The new creation, the recreated man is outstanding. The recreated man is a masterpiece. Oh, I think I need to read this place for you in uh, Amplified. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. In Amplified, I'm ending now. What the Bible says in Amplified? The Bible says in Amplified, verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says, Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, <laughs> if any person 
is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah said he is a new creation. He says a new creature altogether. So the recreated man is something that has never existed before. <laughs> say the old previous moral spirit condition has passed away. Say, behold, hallelujah, the fresh has come. So what makes this new man a masterpiece? What makes this new man outstanding? This new man, unlike Adam, <laughs> glory, this new man, unlike Adam, is the fusion of man and God. This is what makes this new creature a masterpiece. There is a touch of God already in man, because it's man, it's God that molded man, created man. But now, that man, the unbelieving man, the man in the nature of the fallen man, in the, in the Adamic nature, though has a touch of God in him, created in the image of God. That's why you, you, you shouldn't insult a man or a woman. You shouldn't, because they're all created in the image of God. But the new man goes a step further. Not only is the old man created in the image of God, now God now fused himself with this man, with that spirit of man. And if it was metals, we we'll call them an alloy. But in our case, is a fusion of spirit. It is a pneumatic <laughs> reaction that took place. When somebody says, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in your son. I believe he came on earth, lived, died, resurrected, and he died for me. I accept him into my life. Immediately, God, in the person of Christ, through the Holy Ghost, fuses together with that person. And you cannot tell one apart from the other. You can't tell man, again, apart from the Spirit. That is why when they look at you, they don't see you anymore. When they look at you, they see God. When spirits see you, they don't see a dark spot. When spirits see you, they see a burning flame of fire. Oh, a, wom a woman that was, um, I don't know what to call it, bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever, but in Nigeria, we call everybody that has all those um, diagnostic or diagnosis mad, you know. And she was brought to church and she was prayed for and the devils were commanded out of her. Listen to what she said. I will never forget this. When the devils came out of her and she became sane again and she was giving her testimony the next Sunday in church and she said something I will never forget for the rest of my life. When she finished giving her testimony, thanking God for the deliverance and all that, she said, there's something she wants to tell us Christians that we don't know. She said, see, when she was not, that she could see into the spirit, well, because she was possessed by demons. And uh, 
She said that what happens is that in the world, when you look up into the sky, he said in the spirit realm, the whole sky is covered with birds. And these are birds of prey. See, there are so much that you cannot even see sun. The sunlight and the sun rays cannot even go through. They're all hovering, all above, covering the whole sky. Demons, fallen angels, all of that. That periodically they will they will swoop down and pick someone. And say, the only way she can explain it is if you've watched any of this animal planet shows, Discovery Channel about birds of prey. You see that eagle or that falcon or that hawk come first on a tree or a mountain, identify a prey, will come down, swoop down, and with his talion, collect possibly a rabbit or a chick. You know, if you if you if you go to the village, it usually happens in the village. You see that hawk come down and take one of a little chick. From the hand. That is why whenever the mother hen sees or perceives a threat, she gathers her chicks under her wings and she covers them till that threat passes. Because they're going to swoop down and take one. This is what happens in the realm of the spirit. They will constantly swoop down, pick one. And it happens hundreds of thousands every day. But that the only people they can collect are the people on earth that don't have light. See, when you look from the bird's eye view, or if you have a bird's eye view, and you now look at the earth, the men and women go about their business not realizing the threat that is up above them. That they go about their business not knowing that it's a serious threat, threat above them, collecting as they will. But she says, see, that when you look with that bad eye view on earth, that a lot of people are all darkened. But you can always spot amongst the darkness, the dark shadows, that's how she described the people. See, they are dark shadows, but you say amongst them, you see light, 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 light. It's a bright light like fire. When those beds of prey come down, they only, only have access to the shadows, the ones without light. That they cannot touch the ones with light. They can't. And this is so profound. The more I read this Ephesians and, and God is showing me a lot of things, he reminded me of this story. I was like, wow, isn't it profound? You begin to understand what, what Paul meant that when we were dead in trespasses and sin, that deadness in the realm of the spirit is like light going off. I mean, if you've traveled abroad, you know, and in the airplane, you're about to land into an European nation or a developed country, you will see that whole city well lit. <laughs> well lit 
as you're coming down, maybe from from 10,000 feet, you see the city well lit, 5,000 feet, you know, you're getting closer, well lit. The case is usually different in Africa, especially Nigeria where there's no light. When you're landing in Lagos, it is darkness. You see spots of light here and there. Especially if you come by early hours of the morning. When you come, if you come by maybe around 9, 10 in the night, 11, you see plenty like people have their generators running. When you come early hours of the morning, like three or four, when it's still dark, just before dawn, there's darkness over the city. Just a couple of light here and there. And, and I could understand what that old lady was saying. He said, these birds of prey only have access to the dark ones. These are the people that are still unbelievers. But the ones that are lit are this new creation. Why? God lives on their inside. Remember that analogy I gave you? That the new creation is not like getting your phone, plugging it into power. It's like the power company coming to live on your inside. So you are constantly lit. And there is a mark on your forehead. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. That we've been sealed with the Holy Ghost. And that mark on our forehead is a touch, not mark. Yeah, in the word of the Lord. There is a touch, not mark on your forehead. No evil can touch you. No devil can touch you. No plan of the enemy and wicked people can prevail in your life, business, career, health. Why? You are a blazing fire in the realm of the spirit. And devil cannot feast on you. If you believe that, shout a big amen. That is the new creature. That is the new creature. Hallelujah. So the Bible says that we've been prepared. We've been prepared for good things. And these good things, which is workman, this masterpiece I'm prepared for is to do his way, his plan, his purpose. So we need to work in these good works which God has prepared for us beforehand. Glory be to God.